0: You're listening to the Inside Study Abroad podcast, episode number 15 with Andrew Gordon. Welcome to the Inside Study Abroad podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Roberts. In this show, we explore the world of international education and meaningful travel with some fascinating guests, a little friendly debate, and a whole lot of practical advice. Let's get going. Let's start with this. Have you listened to any of the podcast?
1: I listened to a little bit of one But this is like not, this is like before you made your comeback. Uh, this is like, because I feel like you did a podcast before. There was, after, it, was. Maybe, it was. Maybe it was like after you did your comeback. No, no, no. I mean, within the last, it was within like the last 18 months. Oh, yeah, it was like a year ago. Okay, within yeah. the last 18 months, I've totally listened to a podcast. So not, but not the, the whole
0: new day. Inside Steady Broad podcast is what you're going to be on.
1: Okay, good. So you, you need to what? be listening I'm, I'm to glad, this. I'm glad I didn't, I'm not letting myself be prejudiced by any of the rest of them. do <laughs> my style and yes. we'll see what happens. No.
0: <laughs> hey, everyone. This is Brooke from the future. So I had to re-edit this podcast episode because I couldn't find the original file. So lesson number one, kids, back up your ish to external hard drives, the cloud, all the things so you don't have to... Re edit things that you've already done in the past. And uh, re listening to this, I just, just made me smile and laugh and giggle so much. One, because uh, I love Andrew Gordon. He's one of my favorite people in the world, let alone in international education. And um, it's, I'm sad that I'm not in that field anymore to get to talk to him more, but whenever we're in the same city, we always make a plan to get together. So it was nice to revisit this conversation with him. So I hope you enjoy this episode with the founder of Diversity Abroad, Mr. Andrew Gordon. Let's get going. Hey, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Let's start by you telling everybody how you got to where you are today.
1: That is an awesome question. Um... So, I, I don't think I ever expected to be working in international education. Um, it's interesting. Sometimes, like, uh, in the field, yourself and others I like, give tips about how you get into the field. And folks ask me, and I say, I'm, I'm a terrible example from the standpoint of uh, it, it wasn't something that I set out to, to do. It kind of fell on my lap. Um, and I feel very fortunate about that. Uh, so, I... I studied abroad, Um, I studied in Mexico this summer, Mexico, a semester in southern Spain and then uh, interned in in Madrid and after that came home, I was working at a consulting firm uh, and, so wait,
0: back up, what was your like major in college and stuff? What were you thinking you were going to do back then?
1: Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So my major in college, I, I majored in business administration and then minored in Spanish. And so I, I was fascinated with consulting. And so I wanted to do con, uh, some aspect of consulting and business development. Um, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, and so that was, uh, that's what I started out doing. Uh, and so after I had been working at the, I worked at Deloitte and I was there for a couple years and I was thinking about going to get my MBA. I, and so I was like, hey, I wanna have something on my resume besides I worked at Deloitte because a lot of people have that kind of background and they go, into, uh, they go into to get their MBA. And so I just I always remembered my experience studying abroad and had both the multiple experiences I had. They're all really, uh, for different reasons, phenomenal uh, experiences. Uh, but one of the things I, I remember, particularly when I was in Spain, is I was on this program and there was probably like 200 students more or less. And of all the students that were there, there was just like a handful of like black and brown kids. Uh, I still had a phenomenal experience, but like when you're kind of the other, you remember that. Uh, And so I had been involved in different like diversity related organizations uh, when I was at Deloitte and even in in college and high school. And I knew in, in study abroad, what I knew the, the study abroad field or study abroad industry at the time I knew there really wasn't anything and so I started doing a little more research and I found that there I, you know, I found that there what there was no kind of central uh, location where students could get resources uh, about studying abroad students from diverse backgrounds uh, so at this point I'm twenty five and what year and, is it. Oh, you're gonna make me age myself.
0: <laughs> yeah, you already <laughs> so, gave it away a little bit.
1: I'm 25. It's the year 2005. Okay. And um, and so I get excited. I get excited because there isn't anything, and I'm like, hey, it'd be really cool to just have a website that talks specifically about study abroad. So um, I started. Oh, actually, let me back up a second. And so this is probably around. Uh, March or so 2005. And so I do this research and I find out about this organization, NAFSA, no idea like what it is, but I started researching. It's like, oh, it's great. And they have a conference in Seattle. And so one of my buddies that I worked with, uh, he had already left Del- Delo- Deloitte to work for another company and he was on a project in Seattle. So uh, I called him up. and I was like, Chris, uh, can I crash with you? So he's like, yeah, I can crash. So I crashed at his like corporate housing. I had... I uh, went to the, the NAFSA conference. I was blown away because I had no idea. Yeah, I had never been to anything like that so big. Um, I knew nobody. Um, I still remember, actually funny enough, for those of you that have been in NAFSA, I, I remember going to the Brazil party that year. And I, How did
0: you even know to go to the Brazil party?
1: <laughs> I, I, wish I, could, I wish I really wish I could track back how that happened. Uh, but who I met someone that knew and took me along. Yeah. There were a lot of people that kind of took me under their wings. Yeah. Um, and so that was, that was part of the fun aspect of it. But I, I went to a handful of sessions that were talking about diversity a little bit. Um, and then I met, went and met with a couple of the vendors. Uh, one of the, one of the, the people I remember, uh, and we kind of laugh about the story now is Paul Watson, who at the time was, uh, working at a semester at C uh, and so he was one of the first people I met coming into the to the field. And I just kind of told him a little bit about my idea and got some really encouraging words. So I left NAPSA came back and I just started working on diversityabroad.com. I wrote all the original content uh, while I was still working full-time. So it was kind of like this side project. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the following year at NAPSA in two thousand and six in in Montreal, is when it was kind of like, hey, we're coming out. We're like hey, we're diversity abroad. This is our website, and it was really fortunate that I met with some great organizations that uh, came on board and were willing to uh, kind of you know put some money towards. At that time, was, was just a project, mm-hmm. um, and in 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 a certain sense, like the rest is kind of history. I mean, I kept mm-hmm. working for about another year and a half um, before I quit work and started doing Diversity Abroad full-time. And once I uh, started doing it full-time, it just kind of took on a life of its own. Right. Um, and t- today, it's it's what it is. I mean, we have... Well, a, get it,
0: well whoa, whoa, back up a second. We're going to get into what you guys do now. So I want to like, go dive into that a little more, because I'm so nosy about these things. So when you, were, you, you left Seattle, and you're like, all right, I think there's something here. I can do this. And you started working on diversityabroad.com. Was it like a word blog or was it a blog spot like what did you create like how did were you a developer did you have a background in technology in any, in any capacity like what did it start off as
1: yeah so that's a great question so no so I didn't have a background in technology um, but funny enough my older brother at the time uh, was working he worked in finance and uh, he had like essentially like this side hustle um, on uh, on financing, on giving people information about how to uh, apply for loans and so on and so forth, the, the different type of uh, mortgages. And so he had built this uh, this website out with uh, with a company that, that he, he worked with. It was offshore. And so I called the same people up and I was like, hey, I want to uh, basically, <laughs> this is one where built build this website. Can oh, you nice. help? Yeah. And I don't remember... I wish, I mean, I, it wasn't a ton of money by any means. I mean, the first of you, know, you were able to go back and like online archives, I right. you can.
0: You can, yeah, Wayback yeah. machine, you guys, go creepdiversityabroad.com. Creep. <laughs> that
1: was like the initial, uh, what I came up with. And so it was, um, I, I mean, I knew enough about web development um, and there are other websites out there. I mean, at that time, there was obviously there's was studyabroad.com, there was goabroad. Um, and so I got a sense of like some of the information that was needed. Mm-hmm. Um for you know, for, for, for a website, but I knew from the, the very beginning, too, is that I didn't want the website just to be a, a directory, because right. I knew for students like me, and I think a lot of other students, and not just students of color, but like first gen, uh, students from lower socioeconomic background students that just don't have this history of a global engagement, um, there needs to be a lot of information just to walk through the process. Right. Uh, and so I knew that I wanted, I wanted that to be on the website. So it wasn't, it was the, the initial site was based on, uh, it was a Joomla site. Um, and yeah, I just, I wrote all the content like on a <laughs> word document and then just transferred it over. So right. and so forth. I went back pretty, Is you know, it was pretty, 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 uh, not high tech by, uh, but, uh, yeah, it was a process. So I guess I've kind of been in some ways very much involved in web yeah. development and, uh, uh, design and SEO and all those things for the last decade as well.
0: Yeah. Well, so thinking about those few articles you started writing yourself early in the States, can you remember like, what was a topic that you thought, and, and it might be, seem basic now, like we're so far evolved from even, you know, 10 years ago, but like, what was one of those topics that you thought it's just not being covered and it would be super yeah. valuable to, uh, a, someone from a diverse background in certain, yeah. whatever that is here.
1: Yeah. So, so interesting. So we, we actually didn't start out doing articles. Articles probably came in four years later. Yeah. Like, so probably 2009. You learned
0: about SEO. Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. Because articles are important. Right. Um, so no, we, we really started out it was with just doing guides. So the mm-hmm. idea was like, this is your guide to study abroad. And I remember one of the first, um, uh, one of the first ones that I, that I wrote was why, like why study abroad? Like what are the benefits? Um, and even at that time I remember covering, academic personal and, and professional um, benefits to study abroad and that's you know I think I mean, again being obviously coming from that population uh, being very aware that just saying that hey study abroad great isn't enough is like really talking about this is what you're going to get out of it mm-hmm. um, this is why you should leave for a semester and go or right. spend your summer doing that and um, it was almost as I was writing it. I remember, it was like, am I convincing myself? <laughs> uh, and that's and that's. Oh, I, I think to the to this to date to the date to date still. I think when we develop content, we ask that question: like, are we persuading ourselves? Well, I guess I don't have to persuade myself anymore. That's probably why I don't write as many articles. Right. We have uh, some younger uh, folks that are a little more engaged <laughs> with with the population that we target. that uh, do more of the articles, and I think in part because of that. Like, how are we engaging? The, the population in a way that's really persuasive.
0: hmm So, okay. So now let's get into more, you know, current affairs when it comes to diversity abroad. So obviously you guys have evolved past just the basic guides, which I know you still provide a tremendous amount of content for your audience from students to professionals, everything. So what are some of the sort of the key initiatives that now you sort of moved in towards and sort of understanding your value to the field?
1: Yeah. So early, so early on, like I mentioned, like we, we, when I was doing research, it was like, oh, yeah, there wasn't any kind of centralized websites for students to go uh, study abroad. And about four years into uh, to DA, the organization, what we were noticing was that we were getting calls from a lot of professionals that were asking us about resources um, on the website and so on and so forth for professionals. And, you know, we were like, hey, well, look, it's not... This is the website for students and parents. It's not really for professionals. Um, and so at that time there was just two of us in the organization, myself and um, my colleague, uh, Monty McGee. And we were having this conversation, this meeting, and we decided, like, hey, we should build a website for professionals. I and mean, that was, like, on a Monday or on a Tuesday and By Friday, we decided that we were going to create a consortium. Uh, and when you have two people in the organization, that's the kind of stuff you can I do. You, I love it. I yeah. love <laughs> it. It's really kind of simple. But the the idea was we 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 again kind of took a lay of the field, uh, the lay of the land in the field, and it's like look, there's these awesome organizations. There's NAPs. There's IIE. There's um, AIA Forum, so on and so forth. All great organizations in their own right. But none of the organizations was solely focused on access, diversity, inclusion. Uh, within international education. And what we knew about um, higher education as a whole is that those kind of organizations existed and that it was important to have an organization whose sole purpose are, are focused on those themes at, with professionals. Um, and so we started working on, on a consortium. And, and again, it's one of those things where we looked at what was there, and what was in the field already and what was missing. And we started thinking of the kind of uh, resources that would be useful to professionals. Uh, and gosh, it was probably, I, probably six, nine months later, we rolled out with the diversity abroad network. And I think when we launched it, we had, I don't know, probably seven or eight members. And that was like me calling in favors for people who, (laughs) I was like, please, I don't want to launch with no members, please. (laughs) So we had like seven or eight members and it's, you know, it's just grown tremendously. So now we have a little over 200 members. Um, it's the the only organization or consortium, if you will, that's, solely focus on those topics of uh, inclusion access, equity and diversity in global education. And and I emphasize global education from the standpoint is that we've uh, shifted from just focusing on study abroad to looking more so at uh, a more holistic view of international education. Um, And in part, it's because we realize that to get more students from diverse backgrounds to go overseas, We need more students from diverse backgrounds to be exposed to global, whether it be international students, global themes within the classroom, so on and so forth. And so it's a much, um, much more of a holistic approach. But so and and that's, I would say, kind of diversity abroad 2016 going forward. What are we doing? Uh, That's that's kind of it. It's still with this focus of we want more young people from diverse and underrepresented backgrounds. To be globally engaged, have international experiences. Um, as much as we would love for, like all students to go abroad, like being realistic, we know it's not going to happen, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean like all students can't have access to a high quality global education. And right part of that is they're interacting with international students, again, like international themes, so on and so forth. Right. Uh, so that's a lot of the work that we do with uh, professionals.
0: Yeah. Well, that and that, it's really interesting you bring that up because that's actually been sort of one of my soapbox kind of topics within international ed, especially in my, you know, cocktail conversations at uh, conferences with people is, you know, I, my, my master's degree I did in higher ed administration, student affairs. And so I learned to sort of appreciate and sort of understand the larger holistic experience students have during the college years the traditional college years and Mm -hmm. and of course you know I'm a super fan of all things education abroad but I'm also you know first generation low-income student understanding that I'm an anomaly in you know in my own background of being able to go abroad but look at all these other amazing things that we can um, facilitate on campuses or that are available through other avenues that students can take advantage of and get a really great holistic education and it's not just about having to leave the country while that is amazing and very potent Um, there are other ways that you can get exposure to these ideas and these these conversations and these moments of going what the hell's happening to me right now (laughs) you know and that that learning um, that's not necessarily having to get on a plane to go somewhere so I think it's really great that you guys are looking at it from that perspective because you're right like it's not always just about giving people money and making it happen there's other limiting factors
1: yeah and and it's it's kind of too like I always say that I kind of you know short game long game right Mm -hmm. so You know, that in part is really part of the long game for education abroad, because the more that students from uh, diverse underrepresented backgrounds are exposed, uh, whether they actually go abroad or not, the, the more that global experiences will become part of the fabric of higher education within these communities. So their brother or sister that's in high school now or middle school now, um, we'll have them as a mentor that's talking to them about global things and so on and so forth. And then when they go to college the propensity for them to study abroad we think will be greater. So it's part of it's part of the long game. Um, I know we like to obviously sometimes we think very much in you know spring this fall, this summer, but really is like looking at what's the long game as far as how we really change the, 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 the change who's who's globally engaged, who's globally aware and who's not mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I love that. So, so that kind of lends me to my next question. I, I want to get into sort of actual tangible strategies that, you know, kind of workshop this a little bit. If somebody's listening to the podcast, they could be like, Oh, okay, yeah. I get that. That's cool. Um, obviously you guys, all the stuff, if you want to go deeper with it, go to diversityabroad.com, hook up with Andrew. If there's like, bazillions of hours <laughs> uh, and, and, and access to opportunities and trainings that they, that they do over there, which is great. But this is sort of just a little quick taste of what you guys got going on. So before we get into like what to do, what do you feel like might be a mistake or two that you commonly see happening, uh, on college campuses or within organizations where they're trying to do this work to quote, diversify, uh, but maybe it's falling flat a little bit. What would you say are some yeah. of those mistakes maybe?
1: Um, so I, I would say the, so I'm, I'm going to give you three, three mistakes. Um, okay. the first two mistakes are going to be attitudes. So the, I think one of the, 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 two attitudes I was, I was speaking to a graduate class in the, in the spring. And someone asked me is like, what do I feel was like the biggest, it was essentially like the biggest threat to the kind of work that we do. And I told them like two attitudes. I was like, the one attitude is, um, people who think that this work doesn't apply to them. Um, so maybe you're from a majority population, you haven't really engaged in these conversations before, and it's like, that's for for other people. Um, so that's that's one. Uh, so kind of folks that are just uh, not, not engaged in it. The other attitude I think is equally as dangerous is those that think they got it. That think they haven't figured it out. I think that they don't have more to learn. Um, and I always say that with with diversity and inclusion, it's, it's like the same thing with any other topic or subject that we have within international education. Like we would never say there's nothing else to learn about programming or there's nothing else to learn about health and safety. That just, we would never do it. And similarly is um, we can never say there's nothing else to learn about diversity and inclusion. Uh, in part, I think the attitude comes from like way back when you, know, you feel some like of the, the, the way diversity trainings were done before. It was kind of set up in a way of like, Hey, check the box, CYA, not necessarily, like, I really need to learn something about being a better professional. It's just like, I don't want to get sued, so I got to do this training. And it, and it kind of put it in a bad light. So I think like, those attitudes can develop from that. So I think that, I think that, I think as individuals, those are two attitudes that all of us have to check. And I, I say, say that to my team at Diversity or Broad all the time, yeah, we do this stuff day in and day out we all have a tremendous amount to learn internally still as much as our our colleagues do externally. So I would say those two things. Um, the, the other one that I think, um, and I think sometimes people think I hate scholarships because I didn't make this this statement, but I, I, I think that the notion focusing on scholarships for just like solving the problem is a dead end. Like it does not work. Um, um, and I mean, it's, I think not just in education abroad, I think in a lot of different areas of society, we as a people are very aware that throwing money at a problem does not fix a problem. Um, Now, do I think scholarships aren't important? That's not what I'm saying at all. I think scholarships are extremely important to expanding access to education abroad. But the point being is that scholarships are just one part of the puzzle. Um, It was interesting. We did did a study. uh, We survey students. We have a campus tour. It's called the passport tour. And we visit about 70, 80 campuses a year talking to students. And we survey them. And one of the questions we ask is, like, what will be your barrier? What's your, your biggest barrier to studying abroad? Across the board, students all said funding. Right. So whether it's you know real list, I mean, whether it's like a, a real barrier or not, students say, I can't afford to do it. Right. Um, but then when it started to break down, and you break it down with some of the different ethnicities. What was interesting is that uh, with black students, African-American students, they were the only ones that said fear was one of the reasons why they would study abroad. Um, And you didn't see that with any of the other populations. And then you saw uh, with um, black students, Latino students, like family was a, a really big factor. And that didn't factor in with Asian students or Caucasian students. So the point being is that it's, really you know funding is one piece of the puzzle mm-hmm. but like with everything if we're trying to attack a, an issue or a problem we have to look at it from a holistic way mm-hmm. so there's like the funding there's the programming there's a health and safety there's the advising there's support there's the whole the whole when we think of like the 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 cycle of study abroad mm-hmm. there's something in each of those areas that we can focus on around and kind of uh that we can focus on to be more uh, Deliberate and in how inclusive we are, right? Um, and funding is just one of those things.
0: Well, and I think it's interesting too, also understanding that just because your organization, your office, like has like, quote your diversity, I'm using air quotes, everybody diversity yep. sort of brush, you're trying to you know, initial, you know, the big initiative you're trying to put forward, like the different populations are going to respond to different things in different ways. You can't just say like, now we have a diversity scholarship, all our solve problems are solved. Or now we, you know, address, you know, parent fears. And now all of our diversity problems are solved that you have to understand the nuance to different populations, right? Like we have, neither of us have even mentioned like LGBT populations too. They have their own set of, you know, challenges that I think, um, you know may not be addressed you know and even anything we've mentioned here so i think that for me would probably be a mistake i mean i probably made that too in my past in working at study abroad offices like okay this is important to us we do have limited time energy funding human capital to invest to this and so we're like okay what is our in- our diversity initiative but yeah. not fine-tuning it based on the populations absolutely yeah yeah, yeah.
1: well and then and then I think, and I think just to your point right there, kind of, I'm doing air quotes now mm-hmm, too. Diver- mm-hmm. Diversity initiative. Yeah. Uh, we we talk a lot about that, and in part is that the the challenge of that is like when we have like diversity initiatives is that we're we're setting diversity apart from the actual function, our main function as an office. So right. we can have a diversity initiative and actually absolutely bomb and fail at the initiative, but because it's not actually integrated into how we look at our success mm-hmm. we can still say that we're successful as, a, as an office even though we failed at the diversity initiative whereas if the diversity initiative is just a part of what we do and is integrated into everything that we do then our success is in part tied on our diversity initiative if you will mm-hmm. uh, and that and is a very a very important just shift in how we look at how we look at things because mm-hmm. not just in education abroad higher education as a whole right. there have often been like these diversity initiatives and like how do we just make it Mainstream versus making it something that's uh, that's an extra.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I oh I hear you. So that is a great segue into let's talk about the some actual tangible strategies. Some people can take that, they can add to sort of the, I love the way you said it before, the fabric of their operations. Um, So I always like to, you talked about um, long-term, short-term. I like to talk about quick win, big win uh, strategies, Mm -hmm. right? So a quick win for me is something small, like thinking like one individual that maybe is just like, I'm doing my work. I, you know, I'm not a decision maker, key stakeholder, you know, all those things. Maybe they're trying to get into the field, but they want to quote, support you know, and be helping moving the help move the needle on these things. So what is a quick win for an individual or maybe even like a tiny office, you know, who's spread thin that they could maybe even like start on tomorrow that could actually feel like progress.
1: Yeah. So, uh, okay. So I'm going to say a couple things. I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a huge fan proponent cheerleader of work smarter, not harder. Um, and so, We're all—I mean, I'm sure absolutely everyone listening to this. Brooke, I know you. I know me are probably over—you know—overextended in many ways with our our work, and so it goes back to the whole conversation we were having earlier about a diversity initiative. You throw something else on top of it. It's like, whoa! It's not that I don't want to. It's like I'm totally extended already. I can't do more. So, um, when thinking of the whole idea, like work smarter and um, work—working smarter, not harder. One of the, the quickest ones I say is figuring out who your allies are on campus. The study abroad office is not going to transform who goes abroad and who doesn't by themselves. I don't care if you're at, a you know, University of Minnesota with 50 people in the office. It's not 50. They yeah. have like, like 30, 35 people in the office or you're at a one person office. Um, campus collaboration is huge. And we talk a lot about, uh, you know, I talk a lot about being a social entrepreneur. Um, but there's also like the intrapreneur. entrepreneur like how do you change within your organization? So an individual can easily take a step back and say, you know what, I'm going to make an appointment with Brooke Roberts, who works in the multicultural office, and I'm just going to sit down and understand what she does. Mm-hmm. What is your job? What do you do? Tell me about the students that you work with. And that is like such a, a, a quick win from the standpoint of one, you're establishing a relationship with. Someone in another unit that can be that has access to the population of students that you want, but they also the work that they do, and since they specialize in working with those students, you have a lot to learn as a professional about that, and that can be very beneficial too to you. Mm-hmm. Co- well, it might cost you lunch, so let's say you know cost you ten bucks, fifteen bucks, whatever it might be, depending on where you live and how expensive lunch is. <laughs> um, Uh, And that's a very, just a very, very quick win is establishing that relationship and you're putting yourself in a, in a situation where you're willing to be taught about these, about these topics. Your, 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 um, your actions are showing that, you know, that, Hey, I don't know everything Mm -hmm. and I need to learn more. And that goes a very, very, very long way, Mm -hmm. but you're also giving your colleagues in that office an opportunity to say, you know what, the folks that study abroad aren't just interested in getting the numbers and more of our students. They actually really want to understand our students, the populations, the challenges, and so on and so forth. Uh, So I would say that's an easy win um, as an individual. As an office, an easy win is to sit down, bring the office together, have a half an hour, hour hour-long meeting, and just be 100% honest about what are we doing around diversity and inclusion. Are we doing nothing? Do we not have enough time? Um, whatever it might be, uh, just be honest, don't give yourself excuses, just be honest and have that internal conversation. Um, because once you have that conversation, then you can move things forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but having a conversation sometimes is, is tough. Mm-hmm. I think particularly with diversity, sometimes we have this, this idea of like, hey, ignorance is a bliss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if don't, I don't know about what's going on, then it's okay. But the reality is like, we, I, I have a really good friend. And sometimes when I'm, I'm traveling a lot, and I, I, I'll, I'll complain. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm tired. I've been traveling. I'm a little over. And he always says, he's Andrew, this is the life you chose. Yes. <laughs> and, and so I, it's, it's, a, it's a great, it's yes. a great reminder, a really, really great reminder to me. So I think for, for us, like taking that same kind of a uh, mentality and, you know, it, yes, we don't. And that's just, sometimes we we know we're not doing a great job around diversity and inclusion, mm-hmm. but this is a career we chose, and we chose a career where our job is to serve students, mm-hmm. and our job is to serve all of our students. And so it's not about our comfort or not; it's about our ability to better serve our students. And mm-hmm. so this is a career that we've chosen, and grab it by the horns. Uh, right. There's so much to learn and get to be get better to get better at.
0: Right. Well, and I, what I love about that is it kind of something I'm like in. Like internally you know, in my company's working on is just the, that general sense of overwhelm of like, oh, there's so much that I want to do. So many initiatives, so many projects, so many collaborations and partnerships and all the things I want to do. And sometimes I find myself just not making any progress or not moving a needle on them just because I'm like, okay, you know, for example, partnership with diversity abroad. I mean, that just sound, I just want to go crawl in bed, you know, because <laughs> I <they're> just like, <laughs> it is like, oh, that just sounds like that's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be valuable. It's going to be great. There could be some cool stuff going on there but it's like okay but if you whittle it down to like what's the first step or the next step and it might just be like you know schedule a coffee meeting with Andrew at IIE you know that's it that's all I had to think about I don't think about what it could be what's going to be long term all, all those things it's like just schedule a coffee and have a conversation. That's why I love that um, that quick wing. Because I think that sometimes we could just sit so bogged down by the big picture of what everything could look like in the end game, the end result, instead of just being like, let's just have coffee or lunch. You know, yeah. I think that's great. So let's talk about then a, a bigger strategy. And this might have require you to sort of unpack, you know, maybe a specific challenge, you know, that uh, diverse populations face, or something like that. You know, put packet it, unpack it in an example. But you know, what's a longer term strategy an office or organization should be thinking about that has massive ROI in terms of, um, you know, whatever. Increasing numbers, obviously, is sort of the go-to, but also just, like, creating that fabric in an organization.
1: Yeah. Yeah, No, that's a good question. So, um, you know, we often talk about, okay, you know, the challenge of getting more students abroad. There are the student challenges. We talk about, you know, the, the funding or fear, family, so on and so forth. Uh, back in early 90s, Genetical coined the, the four Fs um, of the, the barriers for students from diverse backgrounds when abroad. Um, as a whole as an organization, we spend a lot of time also focusing on the institutional barriers. So it's saying, hey, you know what? Yeah, there's some things going on with students, but the reality is that at our institution's as professionals, we create barriers as well. Uh, So last year in August, August 2015, we launched the AID roadmap. Um, AID is an acronym for Access, Inclusion, and Diversity. And essentially what it is, is the first set of guidelines, diversity, inclusion, uh, inclusive, excuse me, guidelines for practice, good practice in the field of education abroad. Uh, the guidelines are broken down to 11 strategic areas. Uh, So we look at everything from the way that that we're training the office, inclusive advising, in-country support, health and safety, so on and so forth. Uh, And the whole idea is that all these areas of the education and broad process, they're ways for us to integrate diversity, inclusive good practices into what we do. So in going through this, and I think this is a little bit more of a longer term strategy, is offices uh, we have several that have uh, that have gone through this process, uh, through this assessment tool. Uh, as when you go through it, you're able to get a sense of these are the areas we're doing well, and these are areas where we're not doing well. At at the end, it's done online, so at the end you get like this report. It's kind of like you know you get your credit report, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, hey, you're X. If you want to be Y, you yeah. need to do these things. Gotcha. And so it's kind of it's kind of along those lines and gives. Uh, it gives offices just that a roadmap map to these are the areas we need to improve in and you might find out We're doing a phenomenal job with marketing and in outreach our advising needs work mm-hmm. And so it gives you a sense of like these are some areas that we need to fine-tune And it, the the reason that we built this tool is that we wanted to have something that was sustainable something that outlasted any one person in the office um, something that outlasted whether you know you get a windfall of scholarship money at one year or not something that's like this is just in, in, integrated into the work that we do, um, and I would say that's a little bit more of a long-term. Mm-hmm. It has a little bit more of a long-term impact, right? Um, in that it informs the and informs the operation mm-hmm. of um, uh, of education abroad at, at your institution. I mean, a lot of times I, I usually say that when I talk to people about you know diversity inclusion, you know we're talking about people's identity, who people are. So there's like a lot of emotion, a lot. Yeah. Of, yeah, and, and and what we say about the aid roadmap, we as we said, this is where passion meets process. Passion, in of itself, as strong and powerful as, as it is, if it's not directed, is only going to move us so far. And mm-hmm. so having it in a direction where it's actually moving us towards a goal that we are all implementing these practices on our at, at our campuses, and mm-hmm. uh, we know that that will only won't only help get a greater number of students overseas, but we will. Ensure that we're supporting them in a way that all of our students, regardless of their backgrounds, are really taking advantage of all the benefits afforded through the opportunities.
0: Right, I love it. Okay, so how does someone get access to this tool? Is it only for consortium members or network members, or
1: so? There's uh, is 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 open for net, the actual tools open for network members. However, there is uh, the a complimentary uh, version on the site that allows folks to see basically what the indicators are so on and so forth. That's on, um, uh, that's on our consortium website, which okay. is diversitynetwork.org.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely uh, link up to that in the show notes. So cause I, I, a lot of people listen to the show who are definitely earlier stage in their career, you know, and they're all trying to sort of understand the lay of the land in the field. And oftentimes, yeah. you know, the best resources are behind some kind of um, paywall, uh, yeah. you know, or membership wall that, you know, is more of an institutional level type of access. So I just want yeah. to give people sort of a peek inside what that tool is. So yeah. that's awesome. So one of the conversations, this is not something we prepped, by the way, so, we yes. might, we, so uh, but one of the things that has come up recently, so in my Global Pro Institute, which is all about helping sort of new emerging professionals sort of understand the lay of the land of the field and then also... Sort of figure out what their place is and how they can sort of break in, right? Because we're not all Andrew Gordon and going to launch our own organization, right? We got to get hired by Andrew yeah. Gordon. So one of the, <laughs> but one of the topics that's come up because people are passionate about various topics on the field. And one of the things I talk about is, you know, branding your professional branding and and knowing sort of your strengths and all these things. So one topic that has actually come up. I'd just love your off the cuff sort of. Advice or response to this or opinion is, you know, have lots of, uh, you know, very diverse membership in GPI. And right. some uh, I've had a woman once uh, she, you know, African-American descent, you know, and she, one of the things she said is that she didn't want to be pigeonholed as like like the diversity person just because of her background and how she identifies uh it's not that she's not she's very passionate about that topic but she thought well are people just going to expect me for that to be my brand because that's how i identify and then on the flip side people talking about well i am really passionate about this but i i technically can't relate from my own personal experience the experience that these other populations are or, you know, going through, can yeah. I, can this be my topic? Can I be the yeah. person that talks about this? You know, where? what is my place? So I just love, you know, your, maybe your advice around this topic of navigating it professionally.
1: Yeah, that's a great, that's a, awesome question. Um, so, I, you know, I think for, for uh, folks of, you know, folks of color, or other other diverse, um, marginalized groups, you know, they, it can be like this kind of, you uh, you can get the kind of diversity burnout if you will meaning like the idea is that because you represent these groups you should be the champions of and that's like a lot to carry on your shoulders and at a certain point is like oh my gosh like I, I get burned out someone yeah. someone asked me not too recently uh that's long ago like do you ever get tired talking about diversity I'm like <laughs> absolutely I do I was like it, 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 I was like you know the reason I said that is like it's is interesting so obviously the work we do is around, you know, diversity, diversity abroad. And that's, that's w- w- the focus of our organization. When I said this person was, I was like, but you know, I was like, I re- rarely does someone say, Hey, Andrew, you like are a social entrepreneur and started this organization. Talk to us about like the process of starting a business, right. which, which is I, what you I and I always have. talk about all the time. <laughs> exactly, no, exactly. Yeah. That's one of the things I enjoy talking to you because it's like, that's, I'm probably as well versed in that as I am on the diversity thing so there definitely is I think that a, a very uh, realistic um, I don't say fear but hesitation of wanting to be pegged as a diversity person mm-hmm. so in part there's a couple things I think one as as offices and particularly leaders of offices as directors and SIOs and so on and so forth it's important to, for every for everyone in the office to realize that diversity is everyone's job it's not just one person's job, um, it's the responsibility of all of us. Again, going back to the example of health and safety, like we wouldn't say like, okay, you're worried about you know, X, Y, Z, okay, go talk to that person. It's like, no, health and safety is a part of all we do. The same thing with diversity and inclusion is part of all of what we, what we do. So I wouldn't necessarily shy away from it, um, but I would make sure that you know that is one of the, of the of a variety of skill sets that one has. Um, and the other thing is that just being someone from a diverse background, doesn't make that person an expert in diversity inclusion, mm-hmm. advising or marketing or so on and so forth. So I think as a field, yeah. we, have to, we have to embrace that. Um, for for colleagues that, and I, I, I get this often, uh, we, you know, we'll do workshops and things like that. And as we're preparing, the conversation at some point always comes up of like, oh, you know, we're, we're an office of mainly white women and we're advising students from diverse backgrounds. How do I do that if I'm a white, a white woman? Uh, and I always say, you know, trust and credibility. Um, there's no way any office would be able to employ someone that represents all the identities of all of our students. Um, so the, the challenge really is with us and us feeling uncomfortable. Um, and when we feel uncomfortable with that topic, it's like students are like heat-seeking missiles. Like they see it, they know <laughs> it. Like we can't hide that. So for us, what helps us be more comfortable is learning, developing our skills in these areas. And when we learn to develop skills in these areas around how we're advising around uh, around issues that pertain to diversity and inclusion students from a variety of backgrounds. What happens is we build that confidence in being able to talk about these subjects. Mm-hmm. As we build the confidence to be able to talk about the subjects, the students will see it. So if I'm concerned about if I'm a, you know a, a gay student and I'm concerned about going to study in a country where being gay is literally illegal. I don't care that you're straight. <laughs> you're, <laughs> I, 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 you're, I, you're, I, I care that you understand the courage. challenges and exactly. yeah, exactly. And so it's, uh, but part of it is for us as, 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 as um, professionals, we have to be willing to be. It's almost like you know, we encourage our students to go, go explore, be uncomfortable, so and so forth. We have to be willing to be uncomfortable as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Uh, and that's learning about these topics, learning about the challenges. Uh, and then as we develop that confidence, we can talk with anyone. And so you can be uh, a straight white male or a white female, whatever it might be, and interact and engage with students of color. Mm-hmm. And the students just care that you're being genuine and sincere right. more right. Than anything.
0: And I think, too, one of the things I learned real quick, too, is um, also checking my assumptions, you know, mm-hmm. just be based on who's sitting in front of me, like um, whether, you know, it was another white woman making sure I didn't make assumptions about her background versus, you know, a, a male student that, you know, may or may not be gay or, you know, whatever, yeah. you know, but, but the sitting up making sure I didn't make assumptions and asked a lot of questions, like yeah. knowing it, you know, professionally, like these are statistically the challenges that specific demographics, face. you know, all the, knowing yeah. that professionally, but then sort of saying, what are your challenges? Oftentimes, yeah. you know, sometimes, it's you know, I'll give them a few examples examples that sort of coax it out of them, will be like, yeah, actually, I am a little scared. This is freaking yeah. me out a little bit, you know, and and not making the assumption that just because they happen to be a student of color that they are going through those challenges or, you know, or not, you know. Yeah,
1: you know, yeah, ab- absolutely. And uh, absolutely treating everyone as an individual. And mm-hmm. I would say the other kind of you know, piece of thing to nugget to keep in mind is that so many of us have multiple identities, right. like you're a man, you're, or you're, uh, you're Christian, you're, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you're black. There's, I mean, there's so we have, we, we all have so many identities and sometimes, you know, one identity, the identity that we think is going to be the stronger identity might not be. Mm-hmm. And so as, uh, you know, Brooke, as you are just saying, which I totally agree with, um, is we had to be open, like, mm-hmm. you know, understand what some of the challenges can be, but also allowing the student to be an individual, the same, mm-hmm. the same way we want to be, we want to yeah. be an individual you're not kind of put into a box
0: right right and and then also just if I'm gonna really geek out on someone you know I had to study college student development theory and you know psychosocial development theory amongst different populations and so you can go back and refer to things like Cass and CROSS and all these different researchers who looked mm-hmm. at specific populations and the development sta- uh, the identity development process for them and so yeah. and at the same time while I might be working with two LGBT students one might be at a very different identity development stage than the other you know one might be like super militant like Rob raw and that's a very yeah. distinct stage. The other might be just like da- starting to understand this world or not like, I don't want this to be about that, you know, or, yeah. you know, and the same thing happens in a lot of different uh, identity groups. And so also, I think as professionals, it's our responsibility to understand that piece of the puzzle, too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So, so are you going to hire me yet? Have I earned my spot in a diversity I and mean, broad staff? I mean, you know, Brooke.
1: Yeah. Anytime you're ready. <laughs> I don't think you have time. I know. You I, have know. So many going I on. know.
0: I know. I. Yeah. Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. But so that's the kind of I, that was a planned segue. You guys, you like that? So, um, one of the things I want to talk about is like um, transitioning this into. We talked about you know, you know, tackling this from a professional standpoint. But you know, you. I'm sure you get approached all the time. With people saying, "How do I break into the field? How do, or yeah. you know, even starting something of my own inside the field? Um, you know what? Generally, not just based on diversity stuff, yeah. but you know, what would be some advice you have for um, people trying to break in or just trying, you know, just launching their career in this space? Yeah.
1: So I, I think with anything is how do you differentiate yourself? I mean, that's uh, there. I think Brooke, when you start, when I started in the field, when you started in the field. Um, the field is. You're older than me. I just
0: high. want everyone to know he started before me.
1: <laughs> I, I, I did. I'm a, I'm, I'm a little bit older. You did a little bit older. Okay. <laughs> anyway, sorry. But um, you know, it, it, I mean, things have changed and become a lot more competitive to get to to get into the field. So, mm-hmm. like, how do you differentiate yourself? Uh, is whether it's I'm a diversity expert or I'm an expert in uh, web design development that can be useful to whatever it might whatever it might be is is figuring out. A, how do you differentiate yourself from, from others? And how do you tell your story? I mean, you are your brand and the way you talk and communicate um, about who you are in your brand through a variety of mediums, through mm-hmm. your LinkedIn profile, when you're meeting people at conferences, what you have on your resume, all that is like part of who your brand is. And so thinking of who your brand is and also thinking of how you differentiate yourself from uh, from others and having that confidence in. Really, what you can bring to an organization—it um, would be the institution or organization—is—is—is is, is huge. The—the mm-hmm. um, uh, the other thing I would say, um, in addition to, uh, in addition to personal brand, if you're thinking of kind of breaking in, like, hey, I want to. Do my own thing. I want to start my own organization. It's just look for holes. I mean, at the end of the day, it's I, I think you know myself, Brooke. I think there are other. There are a lot of a good amount of entrepreneurs in uh, in international education, and I think you could take a step back and look at each of them and say they found a hole, they found a need, they found a niche. And so um, find a problem that needs to get solved and figure out a way to solve it. Mm-hmm. Um, and be willing to just be hungry for it. And that's, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting. I, and in part, I'm thinking of kind of putting myself back in the situation of like, how did, how did it all come about? And part of it was that there was yeah. a need, finding yeah. a need to get fixed and, uh, and go to it. And don't, well,
0: I don't know. will oh, go ahead. No, no. I just love it. If, if we're really going to tease it out, I think if people want to rewind back to the beginning of this, one of the things that we kind of glossed over a little bit, but people have to hear it and really sit with it, is that you worked on Diversity Abroad, I think you said a year and a half, as yeah. a side hustle. You were burning the midnight oil on this project after yeah. working, you know, a legit big kid job, whatever, you know, to pay yeah. the bills and all those things. And I think sometimes, you know, when I'm working, even with people who are trying to break into the field, one of the things i I tell people all the time is like, it, passion isn't enough. You have to actually bring some professional competence and skills to yeah. to this world. Now it's just not enough to like have been abroad. And yeah. so one of the things is that I tell people, is like, you might have to do some volunteer work or some pro bono projects on the side while you do something else to just start getting yourself on the door and I'm like yeah. and and I I love that I can point to you and be like Andrew Gordon did it he's super yeah. successful people you know like at the, at the end of the day you're like you're Andrew Gordon founder of Diversity Abroad like it sounds so great and fancy and you are you know you know I, I love you but it's like Back in the day, you were just a guy going, "I want to do this cool thing," and you didn't wait for somebody to say, "Hey, yes, we give you permission." You were like, "I'm gonna make this happen," and you did it on the side, side hustle. Yeah, yeah I love
1: I, it. Side, I'm I'm very pro side <laughs> side hustle. Uh, <laughs> but that, but that, I think what you said, Brooke, is is super important. Like not necessarily waiting for someone to give you permission. And I think whether you're um, you know, want to be an entrepreneur? Or whether you want to change your organization from within, mm-hmm. um, change usually comes a lot of times with people that don't ask for permission. Right. And when I say that now, I'm not by you mean saying like insubordination or anything right. like that. <laughs> but looking at it, and saying, "Hey, this this is a problem. It needs to get it needs to get solved." Um, I have an idea for how to solve it. I'm going to start working on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually, a lot of times is that people. We get so caught up in like our day to day of things, is that we don't take a step back to look at sometimes the simple solutions to big problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, those that do that, uh, you you'll find success in a variety of ways in uh, in this field.
0: Right. And and I want to add to that, is that I, I completely on board with what you just said. And one of the things about that, what you what you said to do is like not ask for permission and just sort of seeing a whole, seeing a whole solving a problem internally or externally, but not I don't feel like enough of us are taking the initiative like the people I can point to in our field who I'm like that person is amazing whatever they're doing you know Mm -hmm. and we know who those people are we can think of the names of people who just make shit happen you know and they're moving initiatives forward and and oftentimes it's that they just saw a problem and they did something to sort of create a solution and oftentimes a lot of us are just sort of like I'm drumming around like doing our own thing and we're not sort of like just making it happen. And so I think that's part of it too. And if you talk about even branding and things, it's like, God, I'm more likely to email you back and talk to you about, you know, your project and all these things. People reach out, I'm sure to you all the time and just sort of say, if they show me that they're, they're doing something, to solve their own problem or to solve the problem before them. And uh, initiative will go a long way, baby. in <laughs> getting yourself noticed and standing out from the crowd.
1: It's so true. Because I think a lot, a lot a lot, of times it's like, I think we can adopt the mentality that, oh, somebody else will do it. Yeah. Or if it's like someone else hasn't thought about it, then maybe it's not. But you know what? Someone else probably just hasn't thought about it. And you just thought of a great idea. Right. Um, and run with it.
0: Right right absolutely awesome andrew this has been so fun as always i love chatting with you
1: yeah, and no, uh, i can't wait
0: to see you um well next week this is not going to go out before then so you guys in the past we went to the IIE conference in washington dc but right now it. it's happening in the future weird time warp happening okay um <laughs> awesome it's great to have you and how how do you want people to connect with you
1: So uh, I would say like the the best way of um, uh, connecting with us is either through um, through LinkedIn, um, through our LinkedIn page, Diversity Abroad, Um, myself personally through um, my Twitter account is just Andrew Gordon D A. Um, and I uh, can definitely do that as
0: well. Okay, I'll link up to that. I'll link up to all of the Durs- Diversity Abroad um, tools and resources and stuff that we talked about here so you guys can go connect with them and see what they're doing, creep on them a little, and uh, hopefully get involved in all their cool stuff.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much. This has been fun.
0: All right. Thanks, Andrew. Bye.
1: All right. Take care.